Dear Heavenly Father, I invite you into my heart, my soul, my mind. I invite you into this meeting hall. I ask you to let me help at least one person in this room. Please take away my looking good racket. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Giuseppe, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm in church. I can't cuss. Anyway, I'm going to be just fine. First of all, I'd like to ask Joe for inviting me to come down and share with you guys. And uh, we got to give him and the, the committee a hand because this is a lot of hard work. And I'd like to thank my friend Mike for getting me here safe and sound. And I, you know what? It is a day at a time program, isn't it? But I can't wait for Monday. I have, I mean, I'm going to tell you the story because we're, you know, we're in church. But uh, the Sky sponsor, uh, about two weeks ago, he came into the Monday night meeting and he had a big black eye. I says, what happened? He goes, I don't want to talk about it. I says, I'm your sponsor. Talk to me. He says, I'm in church. I'm out of my own business, Catholic church. The priest, he tells us to get up, sit down. He tells us to kneel. We're all kneeling. We're all brothers and sisters. I noticed a young lady in front of me, her skirt's kind of in the crack of her behind. So I pulled it out. And she whacked me. And I says, don't ever do that again. He goes, I learned my lesson. The following Monday night, AA meeting. He comes, he has a black eye on the other side. What happened? I don't want to talk about it. What happened? I'm in church. I'm minding my own business. The priest, he tells us to get up, sit down, he tells us to kneel. The girl that's in front of me is the same girl and she has the same problem. I didn't do anything. The guy next to me, he pulled it out. I know she was going to get mad, so I got it and put it right back where it was. So I can't wait for Monday to see what's going to happen. Broken nose? I don't know. Anyway, it's really a miracle that I'm here tonight. Because when I got here, I wasn't even an alcoholic. I might have done some recreational drug abuse, but an alcoholic? No, I don't think so. Alcoholics on the corner with the bag asking for money. And, you know, you have any change? Yeah, you got change for a 20? Yeah, I'm an idiot. And, um... You know, uh, I got taken, I came to A, you know, it, it took like about two weeks for the fog to lift and, you know, I started, my brain started clicking and I was so spun out, my brains looked like burnt bacon and it was taking me an hour and a half to watch that program 60 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I started thinking that, you know what, I wasn't an alcoholic, maybe a drug addict, but I did have a 3012, that's 6502s. And uh, just bad luck, right? And I remember my last drunk driving, Halloween night, 1985, and I see the lights in the mirror, and I go, oh, no, I'm in trouble, right? And this cop strolls up to my car, and he takes one look at me, and he says, uh, where the hell do you think you're going? Ha Halloween party. He goes, what are you supposed to be? I said, drunk driver. <laughs> he says, that's great. He says, you're doing great. As a matter of fact, I'm not even really a cop. I'm going to the same party. Why don't I give you a ride? <laughs> I don't know why you guys are laughing. That's, that cost me 90 days in jail. I don't think it's funny. <laughs> I didn't drive all this way for you guys to pick on me. 
Anyway, I came to Alcoholics. Well, the first thing is the minute that Alcoholics Anonymous isn't fun, then I'm leaving. And there's always good to hear, hear some laughter in a meeting. And uh, laughter is healing. You know, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous July 20, 21st, 1987. Came to Alcoholics Anonymous driving a Cadillac that was dying of alcoholism and wearing a gangster hat and a trench coat. And there's nothing wrong with the gangster hat and a trench coat, but it was the middle of July and I wasn't really cold. You know, you give a kid a name like Giuseppe and let him watch The Godfather a couple of dozen times. I had a higher power. It was Don Corleone. And when I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't come here because I wanted to be happy, joyous, and free. I didn't want to think, think, think. I didn't want to live one day at a time. I came because I was going to jail. And uh, it's kind of an interesting story how I got here. I got here through my drug connection. And I ain't going to talk about using drugs. I'm just going to tell you my story. Uh, his name was Mark. And Mark started going to this thing called AA or AAA or something. I don't know what it was. And he would get 30 days and he would go out. He would get 60 days and he would go out. He would get 90 days and he would go out. In the meantime, he'd come to talk to us on the corner about you have to go to AA. And you know what I was... He was my, he was my connection. And... Uh, after about 15 months in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous, all of a sudden Mark turns Alan on me. And he says, Giuseppe, you owe me a lot of money. You become your best customer. You need to do 60 meetings in 60 days or I'm not going to give you your drugs on credit anymore. <laughs> what are you laughing at? God knows how to get me to a meeting. So he picked me up and he took me to this, this church and it was a small little room, you know, probably about four by four with a hundred people in there smoking, you know, and some girl got up and spoke for four and a half hours and then the meeting was over and it just exploded. People are jumping in cars and going to have coffee and I just didn't get it, you know. And the only thing that impressed me about Alcoholics Anonymous that night was that Mark introduced me to a judge. See, everything I did my whole life was illegal. I never worked legally, you know, I was... And knowing a judge is, for what I did for a living, you know, uh, was a pretty good person to know. And so, and that's all I got out of Alcoholics Anonymous the first night, you know. Then he calls me the next day. And he says, hey, we're going to go to meeting night. And we just went to one last night. Same room, same people. And this time he introduced me to a, a lawyer. And I'm saying, wow, AA is the place, right? And... Uh, The next day, I didn't hear from Mark, and I didn't hear from him again, you see, because Mark went out one more time. In and out, in 15 months, he must have went out like 12 or 13 times. See, Mark couldn't get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous because he didn't change his rotten, dirty thinking. So he couldn't change his rotten, dirty living. I mean, how do you go to AA at night and sell drugs, women, and guns in the morning? You know, it just doesn't work in God's world. So he disappeared for about two weeks, then all of a sudden, I get that call. It's Mark, and Mark sounds sober. It's like, oh, no, I owe Mark a lot of money, you know. And so he called me from the Orange County Convention, and he says, Giuseppe, I can't do it anymore. Now I know he's sober. And he says, I go, what's that, Mark? He says, I, I can't continue to uh, live this kind of life and ask God to bless me with one day of sobriety. He goes, I have to cut everything loose, including you. He goes, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to call you back in 20 minutes, and I want you to think about something. He goes, I love you like a brother. You owe me a lot of money. He says, I'll squash your debt if you, if, you, if you get sober with me. If not, you come and pay me half of what you owe me today. 
and you go your way and I'll go my way. And he hung up. Hell, he, he could have called me back in 20 seconds. I had an answer for him. What'd you do? Bump your head, bud? Hey, <laughs> hey, my life ain't over yet. Hey, hey, you know? So our last transaction was at the Orange County Convention, room 204. And uh, I took care of my, my half of the debt. And Mark gave me the number to his guy. And the last thing Mark told me, goes, look it. He goes, don't ever call me again unless you decide you want to get sober. And he says, one more thing. He goes, <clears throat> they're having a dance here tonight, and I'm working the door. He says, why don't you come? I'll let you in for free because there's going to be a lot of nice-looking ladies here tonight. And I walked out of that convention free, free from Mark. I had the number I needed, and I took over my business and Mark's business. And I got real quick, real slow, one day at a time. You know, all my life I watch these gangster movies where, you know, they start off in the streets, and you make your bones, and you move up the ladder, and that's what I'm trying to do. And, and I think that I'm finally there, you know. I, I'm, I'm running Mark's territory, and, you know, I'm having these wonderful parties with people who just love me for who I am, right? <laughs> you know, they start about Friday and end around Tuesday, you know, and, and you're having these really deep, spiritual, great conversations, and they go about like this. People, places, and helicopters and vans are following me. You know, I'm hiding in the corner of my bedroom because I know that they know. I'm doing the curtain patrol. I would have happily bought them a six-pack and gave them enough drugs if they just would have been quiet. I'm just king of the hill, right? I kicked open my closet and almost shot my three-piece suit because I thought it was them. I'm on the top of the world with really good friends. And just to wrap this up, it took like about two months, and I got pulled over, and I don't know why I got pulled over. Well, I was up for like four and a half days, a little drunk, a little tired, wearing a gangster hat and a trench coat, driving a Cadillac that was dying of alcoholism, and the guy next to me was wearing a cowboy hat. You know? I got, I got so sloppy in my, in, in my gangsterism. You know, I, I thought I was um, Al Capone. I just wanted being alcoholic. <laughs> and we get pulled over, and, and the cowboy starts doing a two-step in my front seat. I says, what are you doing? He says, I brought some with me. I go, you so, I'll kill you. First, I'll kill your mom, your dad. If you rat me out, you know. And I, got, I had gotten so sloppy that I was taking him to the bank to cast his check so he could pay me. So he told him, he told him where it was, and I went to jail. And he got to go home. So I'm sitting in jail where I do my best thinking, and I'm thinking about Mark. Mark's in that AAA, and he knows a doctor, he knows a judge and a lawyer. <laughs> so I call Mark. I go, Mark, it's Giuseppe. What do you want? I says, you know what? I really want to get sober. He goes, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I says, why? He goes, after the meeting, we pray for the alcoholic who's still suffering. I've been praying for you for the last two weeks. I go, well, I'm suffering. Come get me. <laughs> Now, I wasn't going to come into Alcoholics Anonymous because I wanted what you had. You know what? The only reason I came to Alcoholics Anonymous is because is my court date was three months away. I figure I can come to AA and impress you guys that I'm changing my life. So you write me a letter for the judge saying, please don't put Giuseppe in jail. He was Alcoholic of the Month. You know? 
was just going to use you people like I use everybody in my life. Matter of fact, I think I need, a, I need an NA and CA and AA so I can stay, on, stay in LA and not have to worry about the DA, right? <laughs> and, you know, by the way, Mark got my best friend and my best customer. I don't, I don't know, is it best customer or best friend or best friend? Oh, same thing, right? Um, he got him sober, so these two just jump on me, like, you have to have this, you, you need a book, you need this, he tells me, he buys me a book, he goes, here, it's a million dollar program, they shove it up your behind one nickel at a time, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, that's not funny, <laughs> if you don't know what that means, you need a new home group, <laughs> and uh, they, you know, they, they says, you got to get this guy to be your sponsor, they already told him all about me, you know, so I took a look at this guy, and he looked kind of spiritual, figure, you know, he looks like he could spell, he could write me a good letter. So, I go up to this gentleman after the meeting, you know, real cordial, and say, excuse me, sir, would you please consider being my Alcoholics Anonymous sponsor? Yeah, Eddie Haskell in the flesh, right? He goes, are you willing to go to any length? Oh, yes, sir. He goes, what do you do for a living? Well, I sell drugs, what do you do? Now, look at, you gotta be a, if you're, how many ex-tough guys do we have in here? Bully tough guys? You lying heathens. Uh, my sponsor might see me. Uh, so I tell him, you gotta be tough, you know, and he, I can sell drugs, what do you do? And he says, wait a minute, he goes, are you, gonna, are you gonna still sell drugs and try to get sober? And I go, what's well, the only job I have right now? And he says, uh, you know what, you idiot? He goes, you know what, why don't you just get out of here, and if you live, we'll get you. Well, can you write my letter first? <laughs> and something happened outside that room. I didn't know what it was, because I was down to a gangster hat, a trench coat, two pair of pants, and a Cadillac dying of alcoholism. And uh, something hit me out there, and it said, you know what, you better give this a chance, because you're going to be going to jail for a long time. And that was actually July 20th, 1987. So I drove home and I had one of those long talks with myself. You ever have a long talk with yourself? And I was talking to myself and I went down and I talked to my last spiritual advisor on the earth. And that was this uh, cocktail waitress at Sugars I was going out with. <laughs> and she made sense. You know, she says, hey bud, you know what? Look at your record. You're going to go to jail for a long time. Why don't you give it a chance? It can't hurt. And I had two beers that night and that was the last time I ever drank. And uh, Mark called me up the next day. Hey, we're going to a meeting. Oh, I'm in church. Um, so he picks me up and he takes me to a meeting. Same place, same people. And all of a sudden, this time it's a big book study. And the night before, there was like 400 people. And the big book study, there's like six people, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to read the book, doesn't have any pictures. Call me when it's on DVD. I got things to do, you know? <laughs> And it, it, it's, it's going around the room, and everybody has to read a paragraph. Then it comes to me, and I said, I'm not reading. It's your, I'm not reading. I don't need a dad. And so after the meeting, this sponsor guy, spiritual Sam, whatever you want to call him, walked me, didn't want to read. I go, none of your business. What are you doing, writing a book? He says, dude, I'm your sponsor. Didn't say dude. He says, you idiot, I'm your sponsor. <laughs> I says, I don't want to read. He goes, I go, he goes, I don't know how to read. He goes, you don't know how to read? And I says, no, are you happy? He goes, we need to send you back to school. I says, I ain't going to school. Hey, the school when I was in school. 
He says, look it, you got a case for possession of sales, fake ID, reckless driving. He says, you can't even get a job if you wanted to. You go live with your parents and you're going to go to school. I said, I don't know how to go to school. You know what he said? Get in the car. <laughs> and don't forget to invite God in your day-to-day. So now I'm in school. Wearing my gangster hat, by the way. Look at my gang. My gangster hat was like Frosty the Snowman, especially like when I put it on, I was ice, you know. <laughs> Take it off, it was just like slush, you know. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> I don't like you guys. And so now I'm in college, right? And I had seen something, see, God's never late, I'm just never on time, right? And God worked us all out so I could be in college, and like two days before I was supposed to start, I'd seen something on TV about dyslexia. Dyslexia, where you turn things around and you skip some pages and everything, and you know what? Um, I told the teacher, hey, I think I have that disease, dyslexia. And she goes, really? And I started telling her, she goes, well, we're going to continue to go get tested. So they sent me down to this place and gave me this great big three-hour test. The lady says, you know, I want you to come back tomorrow for, for the, uh, the results. So I come back the next day and she says, uh, well, I have some good news and some bad news. I says, what's the good news? She goes, you're a very, very intelligent person. And I says, well, you call my sponsor and tell him because he still won't let me share. <laughs> I go, what's the bad news? She goes, you have a severe case of dyslexia coupled with a learning disability. What does that mean? She goes, well, your brain is different. I says, you have been talking to my sponsor. <laughs> like, what do you mean my brain is different? She goes, regular, normal, normal people, not regular, normal people have a little box in the back of their brain and when they want to remember what the letter A sounds like, they call it and there's a wire that goes right to it and they pull it out or a number. She goes, your wires are, are disconnected. <laughs> you guys are going to laugh at that, huh? She's, she says, she says your brain's different, and, and, and we're going to send you to a special class to learn how to read. You know what? And I graduated from college with a 4.0 grade average. <laughs> I only took one class, but I got an A. <laughs> Report card says 4.0. When you're in Montebello, come by. I'll show you. It's hung in my office, okay? But they taught me how to, how, to, how to compensate for this disability. I learned how to read. You know, which I'll get into a little bit later on because it's all going to be connected. But I ain't no VCR, so I ain't fast forwarding. Okay? <laughs> so, um, so now I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm worrying about my court case. And you know what? I'm, I'm kind of a jerk. You know, people are sharing and I, I'll be cross-talking and you know, because I because I couldn't I knew I couldn't do it, and so all, all of a sudden you know that you know the first month then they have birthday night, birthday night. What the hell is that? Birthday night, you know. And so well, if you get three hundred and sixty five days, we give you a cake and say happy birthday to you. What? what? So this guy gets up, he takes a cake. One year, three years, five years. I'm saying, oh come on, what? A... You know. <laughs> You didn't say it, did you? <laughs> so this guy gets up and he takes a 20-year cake. 20 years and I was pissed off. 
You know, and I went up to him right after the meeting and I got right in his face like I was going to stick my tongue in his mouth. And I said, excuse me, sir, do you mean to tell me and the group that you've been sober for 20 years? He says, yes, that's right. I go, 20 New Year's Eves. He says, yeah, that's right. And I told him, I go, well, you know what? I don't bleep and believe you. And you know what he said? Isn't that great? Keep coming back, it works. He walked away. And he left me with me in that parking lot. You know, and my, life, my mind back then was like a bad neighborhood. You didn't want to go there alone. And I was alone. And you know, he played me just right because he knew what I wanted to do. You know, I'm saying three, five, ten, twenty years. I can't do this. I'm leaving here. Let me piss somebody off so I can start a fight so I can one more time just justify why I have to leave because it's your fault, not mine. You know, he just walked away. And I'm sitting there, you know what? The hell, I, I quit. I can't stay sober 20 years. No way. I'm quitting. So I officially resigned on the way home from the meeting that night, right? I ain't going back. Liars. So Mark calls me. Hey, Giuseppe, we're going to a special meeting tonight. And I go, oh, a special meeting. What kind of special meeting? He says, well, we all get together and we go up to the 502 Club in Covina and there's probably going to be like about 75 guys there. Then we go to a men's stag and I says, well, you know, Mark, I, I really don't feel good. I'm going to have to miss this one. I'll go tomorrow. He goes, okay. And he hung up. I go, that was easy. Never had a job. Didn't know how to resign. But if it's that easy, well, shit, I'll quit all the time. And all of a sudden, like about 40 minutes later, open the door. It's Mark. Get in the car. Talk to you like a dog around here. Get in the car. <laughs> you know, and, and my sponsor had a van, and you know, he had all these newcomers, and we'd pile into this van and go from Anaheim up to Covina, the Wet Brain Express, right? <laughs> it's not funny. So I'm sitting in that van saying, man, well, you know, he can come tomorrow. I'm not going to be there. I'll get a hotel room. That's it. They won't catch me because I'm done. I Forget AA. I'll go to jail. I've been there before. Do my time. That's it. Come out. Maybe I'll make some money selling drugs and fix up the Lana Club. Just to thank them. Right? <laughs> so now we walk into this restaurant with all these old timers. Right? And I'm sitting there at this table wearing my gangster hat because it's frosty. Right? And I'm melting. And this guy reaches over and he drops the water right in my lap. Oh, newcomer, that's a spiritual awakening. Yeah, well, this cup upside your head is going to wake you up. <laughs> And then so, I'm stuck. You know, you're sitting around 35 years, you know, and I'm saying, I can't even talk to these people because I can't run my game on them. I can't run my game. And I turned to this one old guy, he looked like a human quaalude. I figured I could start a conversation with him, right? And I said, excuse me, sir, how long have you been sober? 35 years. <laughs> Will you be my higher power? And you know what? See... Like I told you, God's never late. I'm just never on time. Mark was not supposed to tell me he was coming over because I was supposed to get in that wet brain express and I was supposed to be in Covina. I was supposed to be sitting next to this human quailing. Right? And he goes, how long have you been sober, kid? I go, four and a half days. Thank you very much. And he goes, uh, what time did you get up this morning? I said, uh, eight o'clock. He goes, I got up at 10 o'clock. Well, he goes, you have two more hours of recovery than me today. I says, whoa, what are you talking about? He says, 
I have 37 years. But I have, to, I have to stay sober just like you today. He says, so if you got up at 8 o'clock and I got up at 10 o'clock, that means that that two-hour window right there, you could have chose to drink, but you didn't. So you have more recovery than me today. Or sobriety, excuse me, sobriety, real important. Sobriety, not recovery. He goes, I have 37 years of recovery. One day at a time, back to back. But I got to get through today just like you. The highest we get around here is sober. I don't care if you have 15, 20, 35 years. He says, I know somebody who has 35 years, I'd rather be drinking than have what he have if that's what, if that's what sobriety is. And he, then he put his hand over the restaurant. He says, see all these people in this room? He says, the person that has the most sobriety today is the one who got it first because he's had to stay sober the longest. Wow. And I, I share this, and, and I get old timers that get pissed off at me. You know what? <laughs> And uh, they need to do some writing or call their sponsor because I don't really care. You know what I mean? I've been sharing this since I was four and a half days sober, and I'm coming up on on 20 in July. You know? Because the highest we get around here is sober, and I'll, and I'll get into that too. You know what? I'll tell you what. You stay around here long enough, and you forget that there's this program called Alcoholics Anonymous that uh. Because you did a four-step, so what? What about a ten-step? You know, and I can get just as caught up into it. it you know, it's it's alcoholism, not alcoholism. <laughs> Half measures availed us nothing. The result was nil until we let go. Absolutely, not let go after our lives got better and we got our family back and we're making good money and you know and we got new teeth. Forever, forever. I heard this guy share that, you know what, I might be, might be in here sharing, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, but my disease is out there in the parking lot doing push-ups, trying to get stronger than me so it could take me down. And that's, that's worth the gas money alone right there. So anyway, I just took a trip to, to Albuquerque. That means I forgot where I was at. You guys don't watch Bugs Bunny or what? Are you too sober for that? <laughs> Somebody remind me where I was at. Oh, sitting in the restaurant with the old guy, yeah. And he, and he, he also told me this. Thanks, Joe. He said, I told you. It takes me an hour and a half to watch 60 Minutes. And so he, he, he tells me this other thing. He tells me, look, sobriety is like riding a bike. If you stop pedaling too long, you're going to lose your balance. And if you stop pedaling completely, you're going to fall on your ass. And then the highest you get around here is sober. And don't be too big, don't be too small, just stay medium. And you help yourself and a lot of people. And so that, I decided that, he goes, can you stay sober for 24 hours at a time? Not 37 years. I go, yeah, I think so. He goes, what do you mean you think so? You've done it for four and a half days. He goes, that's all you got to do is don't drink, go to meetings, and you'll get sober one day at a time. You can get 37 years too. And that's why I always share that, you know, and I don't mean it to, to, to crack on the old timers, you know, you know, but I can't understand, you know, I've, I've had people really get pissed off at me for sharing that, you know, and I'm sharing what saved my life, and, you know, somebody in this room needs to hear it. I didn't drive all this way just to make you guys laugh, you know, I'm going to get a little bit serious now. I mean, I, I, can make, I can make you guys laugh the whole time I'm up here. What good is that going to do? You know, go to a comedy show. You know, I'm going to start talking about some truth right now and tell you the reality about my alcohol uh, anonymous uh, journey. 
So you know what? I'm going to meetings and I'm hanging out with the Mucky Mucks and, or, and Alcoholics Anonymous, the chairmen of the convention and the circuit speakers. Yeah, I got in with a good crowd, really good crowd of people. You know, and I'm going to seven meetings a week and I'm going to these, you know, speaker meetings that, you know, have, you know, 200, 400 people and these excellent speakers. And I start buying the tape. I got the tape, bought the tape, bought the tape. Went on, listen to the tape. Got the tape, changed a few things around, went to the other side of town, tried it out, worked real good, right? I'm sure other people's pitches. I'm just changing it around a little bit, right? Nobody else has ever done that. I know that, right? People come up to me after the meeting, God, I'd love to hear you share. Here's my car. <laughs> so, you know, the, I ain't doing, I ain't reading the book. You know, I'm going to uh, seven meetings a week and uh, a, a poker on Friday night, right? And sober dances. And I'm not reading the book. You know, I did stay out of a relationship for a long time and then... Uh, Then I met her, and her was married to my friend, but he was doing something and they were going to get a divorce, but they had two kids, so we decided to have a little love affair. Uh, we wrote a book, I don't know if you've read it, Where to Make Love in Every Parking Lot After an Orange County Meeting, <laughs> but she was going to leave him, and it was just going to be secret for a little while, and we got caught. Yeah. And I walked into my home group and it was just like an E.F. Hutton commercial. Everybody knew besides me, right? <laughs> he came by and, and he came by my house and anyway, you get the point. And um, so my sponsor calls me. Is it true? I says, well, yes, sir. Get your bleep down here, right? So I go to his house and he throws me in the fist step room and he starts beating me, right? <laughs> he says, um, is it true? And I says, yeah, but they're not happy they're getting a divorce. He goes, absolutely, you need to stay away from her. He says, at least for a year, she needs to work through this divorce. And if God wants you to be together, he'll put you together. And I was so in love. So you know what I told him? Can't have that. So you know what I did? I fired him. I went up to Covina and got me a brand new unused sponsor. Waited about two weeks and told him the deal. He says, you can't do that. So you know what I did? I fired him too. So now I'm uh, sponsoring myself and her. No, come on. This is a wonderful, deep, loving, alcoholics, anonymous relationship. We're doing this sober, right? Let me tell you, look. Let me tell you how wonderful it is. You know, we have an argument on the freeway, right? I pull over and just drop her off. Yeah. <laughs> Take off about 200 yards and I'm going to tell her never to call me again. So I'm backing up on the freeway in sobriety. And don't you ever call me again. Hope you get home safe. <laughs> but we're in love. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know anything about love. You know, I heard a speaker share that if you got the ten most beautiful women in Alcoholics Anonymous and put them against the wall, I'd pick the sick one every time. I got a broken picker. <laughs> in, a, in a relationship inventory I did, I, all of them were the same. They were all damsels in distress that let me fix them, and I'm always 
fixing their lives so I didn't have to take a look at my life. You know, I'd rather look in the magnifying glass at her instead of the mirror at me. And if you, and if you get in one of those wonderful relationships, they tell you how smart and how much they need you, so you don't need to take a look at yourself. I'm okay. <laughs> so I'd like to tell you that it didn't last that long, well, three and a half years. Um, <laughs> then all of a sudden, you know what she did? She got a sponsor. I thought I was doing a good job. And uh, her sponsor made her break up with me. And when you know, and by, by this time, you know, I'm a, I'm a big shot in Alcoholics Anonymous now. I'm speaking. Right? I'm sponsoring 19 guys because it makes me look good. Right? And I'm always pointing the finger at her. She's what's wrong with my life. You know what? And people were still gossiping. People don't gossip in Alcoholics Anonymous. They're just concerned, don't you know? So she left, so you know, I had to take a look at me. I'm not used to taking a look at me. Now I'm four and a half years in Alcoholics Anonymous. So my, my program is so dry that they hung a sign on me. Don't smoke around Giuseppe. You might go up like a Christmas tree, right? <laughs> well, you guys are going to laugh at that, huh? I come here and put my heart out. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll shoot you after. Um, <laughs> So, what am I going to do? I can't, what am I, I'm supposed to get up and say, hey, uh, my name's Giuseppe and I've been lying to you. Yeah, the first four step I did was on a matchbook cover. <laughs> I ain't worked no steps. I haven't worked no steps. So, you know, I figured that, you know what, uh, my sponsor says the thing that predominates my life the most, person, place, or thing, automatically becomes your higher power. And she was my higher power. So I figured that I can't tell anybody. So I went to the Joe and Charlie seminar, you know, about, to learn more about the big book. Why? Because I wanted to, to get sober and get well. No, I need to share some good stuff so I can catch another higher power here, right? <laughs> and, you know, this is how you could tell if an alcoholic's out of control like me. The first thing he gets is podiumitis. I don't know if you know what podiumitis is. Podiumitis is an alcoholic like me not working his program. So every, time, every meeting he goes to, he's got to share for 15 minutes. You know, and he comes up to the podium and they usually grab right here and right here. And if they're nice, they say, please put your seatbelts on because I'm going to be up there for a long time telling you how to work this program, right? So I had podiumitis and that's not working. So now, now my control issues come up. You know, we need to put the non-smoking section over there and we need to have the, the dance on this time, steering committee, I'll drive, right? <laughs> That's not working. So now I'm spinning, I'm four and a half years dry and alcoholics now I'm spinning out of control, right? And the last thing that happens, you know, my control issues, my manipulation, see... Oh, by the way, since I didn't work this program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I just sat in meetings and shared and pretend that I knew and pretend that I worked through it. That, you know what, uh, I was full of crap. I didn't, know, I didn't know how to get out of that tailspin. So the last thing that happens to a guy like me when he's that far down is I turn into this vicious monster called Sponsor Man. <laughs> Sponsor Man flies through the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous trying to fix everything and everybody. Excuse me, excuse me. I heard you share. You need to be page 62. <laughs> Who the hell are you? Who am I? I'm Sponsor Man. <laughs> My life's okay. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. 
I heard you read share about your four step the last three weeks. Here, I had some time last night. I wrote it for you. I have some time right now. You can read it back to me and tell everybody how much I helped you and tell them I'm okay. Who the hell are you? Who am I? I'm Sponsor Man. More powerful than a bottle of tequila. More spiritual than six hits of acid. That's right, it's me, Sponsor Man. Do what I say and tell everybody I'm okay. And I get my newest newcomer to become tradition boy. That's right, Sponsor Man. Principles before personalities. And I'm looking for righteous woman. It ain't working. I'm about ready to go drink because I can't take it anymore. Because I take the lies, I take the manipulation, and I take the dishonesty, and I take, I take the pats and the backs from other people's speaker tapes, and it starts adding up. You know what happens when it gets up to here? I got a drink to wash it down because I can't take it. I never changed my rotten, dirty thinking in four and a half years. I never changed my rotten, dirty living either. I was still lying, cheating, manipulating, conning, trying to get you guys to like me because I didn't like myself. Oh, we got a wonderful process for that. It's called take the steps. I have somebody I sponsor who says it just perfect. Take the steps off the damn wall and give them a heartbeat, your beat. And when you do that, you're going to find out that you're okay. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. We, should, we, we say that in every meeting when we read chapter 5. Don't mean anything anymore. Let me tell you something. Joe gave me precise directions to get here from Los Angeles. Precise. If I would have made one wrong turn, I wouldn't be here tonight, would I? Follow the directions. Take the steps. Same thing in Alcoholics Anonymous. Four and a half years trying to be sponsor man. and You know what? Oh, this is the sickest part about sponsor man. Let me tell you this. Since I'm, can I be real tonight? Okay. Excuse me, honey, how long have you been sober? Four days, who are you? Who am I? I'm your higher power. <laughs> Getting to the point, now look at it. I'm going to say something that might not make any sense, but it does to me. And I'm sharing, and it's just... can't say it. Um, there is absolutely no recovery for me in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. None. I hear you share your experience, your strength, your hope, and I walk out with the hope that if I pick up this book and work these steps, I can get sober too. I can't get sober. Now, don't get me wrong. Meetings are very important. Friends, family, comfort, hearing people share their experience, strength, and hope. But if I don't pick up this book and work these steps, I ain't going to get nothing. People say, well, I went to a meeting every day and it didn't work. Is it that Alcoholics Anonymous didn't work or people like me never bothered to work it? Here it is right here. Here it is. I never bothered to work it. You know what? And we lose a lot of people. You know, they go to a lot of meetings. They, they make coffee. Now I'm going to explain my interpretation. I heard a speaker share about the circle of Alcoholics Anonymous and the triangle in the middle. The circle is us as a whole. Inside this wholeness is three points of our program. One side is unity. That's what we're doing right now. This is a unity part of it. You know, the meeting before this meeting, the meeting after this meeting, that's the unity part. Very, very important. It's one of the three points. The other part is service. 
getting the speakers, setting this up, tearing it down, bringing the cookies. Very, very important. Other side of that triangle. So now we've got two pieces that can support themselves. And what keeps it all together? The bottom one, recovery. Recovery, unity, service, us as a whole. That's it. Not sitting in a meeting. I mean, let's put it this way. If I started a program called um, Let's Get Drunks Anonymous, okay? And we met at Lucky John's every Friday night, and instead of having the steps and traditions on the wall, we had the alcohol and all that other stuff, and we sat there and we talked about drinking, and we talked about, is anybody going to get drunk? No, they got to take the steps. And this, in, in this case, it's pick it up, put it in the glass, put it inside you, drink, go to jail, so on and so forth, right? I could do 90 bars in 90 days. <laughs> I ain't going to get drunk unless I do what? Work the steps and take the action. Now, now here's the most important thing. How many people in this room are sponsoring themselves? Raise your hands. You lying heathens. How many people in this room are sponsoring yourselves? You see that? One guy, one, two, three. Now look at four, five. See, let me tell you what those guys just did. That's called recovery. It ain't called embarrassment. Because it takes a real person to raise their hand and say, hey, you know what, in front of this group, and I know you guys don't gossip around here, you're just concerned. <laughs> to raise your hand and say, hey, you know what, you're telling my story. That's called recovery. Now, I wish you guys would get some sponsors, and you know what, I want to come hear you share when you get through it. Because you know what? The reason, why, the reason why I couldn't work the steps, I'm going to tell you why, is, is how many people think that step four is the hardest step to work? Raise your hand. Step four is not the hardest step. You know what the hardest step to work in Alcoholics Anonymous is? Step three. Steps one, two, and three are specifically designed to help me find a power greater than myself. Once I take all three of these steps in their wholeness, and I turn my will my life over to the care of God, guess what? I don't have to walk through my fourth step alone. This is why I couldn't do it, because I never worked step three. I did stuff out there that I can never, ever, ever make amends for. All I could ask for is forgiveness. I don't want to take a look at that stuff. I just sweep it under the rug. You know what? I, I, I haven't used any drugs or alcohol for four and a half years, so my life's a mess, but so what? See? Because I didn't work step three, I couldn't go on to step four. If I can't go on to step four, then I can't go on to five, six, and seven, which allow me to get right with me. Find my character defects. Find out where it came from. Which lets me go on to 8 and 9 so I can get right with you. So I can walk any place in the world and make an amends. And, and once I've done all of them, and you'll never ever be done, done, that's why it says we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. Because how am I going to make amends on that guy that I knocked out on the freeway when he cut me off? I don't know who he is. But I make amends by not ever doing that kind of stuff again. Which lets me go on to 10, 11, and 12 so I can get right with my God, stay right with my God, and give this thing away so I can stay sober. I mean, how about, when, how about this, these, these, when you're new and you hear these stupid things like, oh, you have to give it away to keep it. Oh, I have to get sick first before I can get well? That's alcoholic arithmetic. You know? I gotta die first before I can live? What? And you know what? It makes perfect sense once you work it. So now this is how I work my third step. I got a chair for me, I got a chair for God. And I says, dear God, I invite you into my heart, my soul, my mind. I invite you in, into this room. I invite you into this chair. Please help me get through this third step because I want to become a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't want to drink and I want to get well. 
If I'm working my, my third step, then I got to believe that he's there sitting in the chair. So now I'm starting to write. I'm starting to write. I'm starting to write. I'm starting to write. All this stuff is coming out. You know, I come to some really scary stuff and I say, oh, you know, that's it. I put the pen down. I get up. I bump into God. God says, go sit down. I can be in the Middle East right now helping them out. Okay? <laughs> Let's finish this up. So finally, if I work in step three, I have step four in my hand. It's finished. All the crap, all the stuff, all the resentments, all these. Look it. 95% of my character defects I had before I ever picked up a drink. Is drinking my problem? I don't think so. Drinking's my answer. Drinking kills the pain. You take away my drugs and my alcohol, the best thing to fix me is a woman. If it ain't a woman, it's, it's a new car. It's, I have to plug my umbilical cord in anything except this because I don't know how to plug it into my heart. See, and the longest journey you could take in your whole life, especially in Alcoholics Anonymous, is 18 inches. Out of here, into here. There it is. That's the difference in my life right there, thanks to those steps. So I finished my fourth step, and I take it to my sponsor. It's just a telephone to God, and we read it. We gave it to God and let him handle it, because he's going to be up all night anyway. Right? And my whole life, I grew up in this Italian strict, Catholic, I've been dipped, slapped, smacked, nothing worked, you know. My dad, my, my, my dad was this rugged, good-looking Italian that was so intimidating, when he walked down the street, flowers would turn the other way. You know, and my mom was a complete opposite, and I thought I was like my dad because I looked like him, I had his temper, you know, and I found out in that fourth step that I was more like my mom. You know what I found out in that fourth step? I'll tell you something. No, I can't tell you. Okay. <laughs> what I found out in that, four, in, in that fifth step, the fourth and fifth step was that, uh, that I'm just happy to be one of the girls today. <laughs> oh, I said that, I shared that in a meeting and some guy asked me out. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, See, I believe in the big, big book, too, and I believe if Adam, if, if God took a rib from Adam to make Eve, that all us tough guys have feelings and emotions and tenderness. We just happen to watch too many John Wayne Rambo movies and we don't know how to show it or we're considered something else. Let me tell you something else, too. I have Bobby Sherman records and I listen to them. <laughs> I still watch the Flintstones. If the Partridge's family is on, I thought Keith Partridge was so cool when I was 10 years old watching that program that I still watch it. I don't mind doing housework. I iron my suit. And you know why I tell you guys that? Because I don't give a rat's ass difference what you guys think about me anymore. Because I almost died trying to be somebody. Now I'm just happy to be someone. I live my whole life through your eyes. How do you want me to act? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And, and the minute I do that again, please, bag of cocaine, some Jack Daniels, and a hotel room. God put me on this earth to be who I am. I don't want to be too big. I don't want to be too small. I just want to be okay. I want to be medium. I want to give back to Alcoholics Anonymous what's been given to me. My whole family's in Arizona right now. When Joe booked me, it was like almost a year ago, I think, or close to it, and they're celebrating Thanksgiving tonight. Right now, you know, 
because her son can't make it here. And there's like 20 people and I'm here because as much as I love my family, this is just as important because you guys are my family too. I found out where my anger came from. Look, I'm almost out of time, so I'm just going to speed it up a little bit. You know, I found out exactly to the day when I became an alcoholic. To the day. Now, I'm not promising that to anybody in this room, but it happened to me. And what happened was this. I told you that I couldn't read when I got here. Well, what happened was that back at, you know, when I went to kindergarten, it was great. New games, new toys, new friends. And all of a sudden, they throw first grade. First grade's the beginning of what? Reading, writing, arithmetic. They didn't know little Giuseppe had dyslexia and a learning disability. He was just a problem kid. And back then, I was so cross-sided, when I cried, tears rolled down my back. So <laughs> oh, you guys are going to laugh at that, too. So they're making fun of me and stuff. So now, now I'm cross-eyed Giuseppe in the slow reading, and I don't get it. And they're making fun of me. You know how, how tough kids can be? So I told my, I told my, and, I, and look it, I totally forgot about this until I started doing my four-step. Until I started lifting up my onion. My sponsor would say it's like peeling the layers back of an onion. I digged deep. It says in the big book, we shoved some of that stuff so far down there, hopefully it would never see the light of day. And that's where that was, because that's where the pain was. So I tell my mom, I'm not going to school anymore. She goes, well, how come? And I go, because they pick on me, and they call me stupid and cross-eyed. And she goes, honey, ask the teacher for help. Whoa, I mean, if I ask the teacher for help, everybody will like me. I can do this. She goes, of course. Okay, so I take this wonderful advice, and I go to school, and I'm sitting in the front row, and I'm stuck. I raise my hand. Teacher's supposed to tell me. She comes over, she says, do this, 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 and this. She left. Dyslexia, learning disability, I didn't get it. Want to be a part of everybody. Don't want to be made fun of. Raise my hand again, she comes over. Raise my hand again, she comes over. After the fifth time, she thinks I'm being a smartass. She comes up to my desk and she hits me on the head with a book and says, get the hell out of my classroom. Now here's a six-year-old six years, six year outside the classroom looking in and they're pointing at me. Guess what? I became an alcoholic that day outside that classroom. Because if I would have known at six years old, if I would have went to the liquor store and had me a half pint, I mean, had me a pint, I would have came back, walked right in that classroom, I would have yanked her, wigged off, and kicked her ass, I would have done it. <laughs> because alcohol fixes that pain for me. Alcohol fixes that pain. Gambling fixes that pain. Women fix that pain. And here it is right here, three inches behind my belly button where I live. And I'm drinking to keep it down there, to keep it depressed. Right? And I'm, a, and I'm a six-year-old out there making adult decisions. I will never, ever try to learn again. Well, I can't read when I get out of high school, but I graduated. I cheated, lied, and manipulated. Nobody will ever laugh at me again. Oh, well, if, if I'm Giuseppe and the Godfather is out in 72 and I put a gangster on and a trench coat on and stick a gun up your butt, you ain't going to mess with me. These are, these are all my character defects. has nothing to do with my drinking has nothing to do with my drinking. And I want to come into Alcoholics Anonymous and share about my drinking? You know, I did some, some inner child work, and you know, it says we need to seek some outside help. I got my inner child out. Yeah, he ran away. So what? <laughs> I went and got him, and he had the answers. I found out where everything came from by the simple prog process that's not so simple called the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're new or fairly new, if you're old or fairly old, or if you've been in and out. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. 
It really should be never. But if you tell an alcoholic never, then they won't read the book. <laughs> Is it easy? No. But let me tell you something. Once you start working the steps, the steps start working you. And it's just part of your life. You know, this, this, this lady dropped her purse. You know, and I told her, hey. And she goes, I can't believe you did that. She goes, there's $1,500 in this purse. And I go, it's not mine. I hope when I lose my wallet someday, somebody will return it. Did I drive away saying, yeah? I said, I'm working on getting well. I'm not there yet. Two things and I'm going to wrap this thing up. My dad, my whole life, never told me he loved me. Never, never took me to a baseball game. My dad met him in Italy. They got married, came and had me. Just to wrap it up quick, right? When my mom got sick uh, and my dad got sick, I lost my... No, you know, I'm going to go someplace else because I'm almost out of time. You know, that same guy that told me, you know what, when he had 20 years and he told me, isn't that great? Well, that same guy two weeks later told me this. He says, buddy, if you can name me one problem that you can solve that will go away, that you never have to deal with by drinking or using drugs, he goes, I'll go out and drink with you. And I thought and I thought and I thought because I wanted to drink with him so bad. bad. You know what? Almost 20 years later, I haven't found one problem that I could solve that will go away that I'll never have to deal with again by drinking or using drugs. When I was eight years sober, this was what happened to me in a 15-month period. First of all, I got diabetes for Christmas in 94. Hope you got something better. Uh, my sponsors, mom and pop, which I didn't even get a chance to share about, uh, had a him and her sponsor because it was like tag team sponsorship. After he got done kicking my ass, it was her turn. <laughs> They became like second parents. They moved to Indiana. My mom had lung cancer. She fought it for a year. She went to the doctors in March. They told her she was fine. No, they went to the doctors in November. Told her she was fine, that she beat it. We had a great big Italian family Christmas to celebrate the good news. She went to the doctor in March. She never came home. Fifteen months later, my dad, the rock in my life, had never been to the doctor in his life, had prostate cancer. He died fifteen months later. I got out of a two-year relationship. My brother was hit by a motorcycle, and my dog got cancer. And I'm telling you this, because I worked those steps and had a foundation, there was not one problem that can hit my life without the love of you and my higher power that I can't stand sober and walk right through. No. That was 1996. If there's anybody in this room that can name me one problem that you could solve that will go away, that you'll never have to deal with again by drinking or using drugs, just one. My telephone number is 323-216-1616. You call me, I will take pick you up in a limousine, we'll drive by this meeting next year, everybody off, and we'll go to Las Vegas. Nobody's ever called me, but I know people go out. Rarely. Have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our past? You know, there's a lot, so much more stuff that I wish I had time to talk to you about, but I'm going to say this and wrap it up because, you know, I have two favorite movies of all time. One of them is The Godfather, and the other one's The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> when I first got sober, since I was going to the court all the time, I had time to watch TV and I was watching this Wizard of Oz movie, and I watched it, and then I watched it again, and I started seeing Alcoholics Anonymous all through this movie, right? 
And it makes sense to me, because in 1939, the big book came out. In 1939, The Wizard of Oz came out, right? How does this movie start off? It's all in black and white. That's how my life was before God sent me to you, right? And the story's about this alcoholic named Dorothy. Now, they're having a great big Al-Anon intervention meeting for her in the living room, and they're trying to take away the most important thing in her life. What was that most important thing? What the hell was Total? A short dog? I don't know. <laughs> she ain't going to have none of this, so she takes her motor life in her own hand, and she says, I'm out of here. And she starts heading down that dirt road. Who's the first person she meets on this journey? The professor. Who the heck is this untreated Al-Anon? Looking in his Alanon crystal ball saying Annie M is sick and dying and it's all your fault, you bleeping alcoholic. He puts a guilt trip on her. Well, it's in my book, taking a trip, not taking a trip. <laughs> so she's going back to face them. They don't show this in the movie because of the kids, but you know she had to stop in the bar for a couple of short dogs or two before she went to go face them, the guilt. And when she does get home, they're all hiding for her in the cellar. Because this isn't the big book. The alcoholic is like a tornado ripping through the life of their loved ones. She's drunk. And she's banging on the door. Let me in. Go to a meeting, you alcoholic. Call your sponsor. <laughs> so she goes into her room and she, she bumps her head and goes into a blackout. <laughs> now she's on the bed with what, Alki? The spins. Trying to put one foot down so she can stop the madness. When she wakes up, you know she's in the middle of her four-step because she's everybody she hurt. N.E.M., the farmhands, oh no, step seven, step six. And who's the last person she sees? The Wicked Witch of the East. That's just true after a couple of short dogs or two. <laughs> now when she lands, you know she lands in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous because all of a sudden it's all in color and they're all happy, joyous, and free. <laughs> And being the good meeting that it is, they get her a sponsor. Who's that? Glenda, the good witch of the north, right? What's the first thing Glenda asks her? Are you a good witch or a bad witch? I'm not a witch at all. Denial. <laughs> now she wants to get she, she wants to get some help because she wants to get back to the one she loves because she knows she's been hurting him all these years. And so Glenda says, Well, we use a higher power on her. What's that? Well, we use the wizard. How do you get to the wizard? Well, you have to follow the yellow brick road. Trudge a road of destiny. She goes, well, how do I do that? And then it tells her, well, it's always best to start from the beginning. What's that? Step one, maybe? <laughs> so she starts trudging the road of happy destiny. Who's the first person she meets on this journey? Some newcomer without a brain. <laughs> I don't know about you. I always had a brain. I just never knew how to use it until God sent me to you, and you sent me to go trudge that road. So I guess where two or more are gathered, there will be in the midst. So they start trudging the road. Who do they meet next? Some alcoholic didn't have a heart. I don't know about you. I thought I knew what love was, and it ain't in between the sheets, but I found out what real love is when God sent me to you, and you sent me to, to trudge those, that road. So these three hook up, heading for the Emerald City, which is really the promises in disguise on page 83. And I guess they're coming up on 30 days because they're going through that spooky forest. Lions! <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, but the real song was pot and pills and booze, oh no. <laughs> and all about ready to go out and drink. <clears throat> and they meet the newest newcomer of them all. Some alcoholic didn't have any courage. Heck, they had to stay sober for him. 
So these four hook up, heading for the Emerald City. They can see it. They must be on step seven right now. They're almost there. There's only one problem. What's between them and the Emerald City? Poppies. So they make heroin out of What wakes them up? A little snow? I don't know. Got a monkey on your back, Scarecrow? Finally, they get to the Emerald City, and if you think I'm making this up, what does a witch write in the sky? Surrender Dorothy. Never heard that around here. And finally, once they get in the promises, they meet the person that I love the most, and that's the wizard. And who is the wizard? Some scared gangster hiding behind a curtain wearing his gangster hat and his trench coat pretending he'd be something he's not. How dare you ask me for a brain? See, he wasn't the higher power. She had to find the higher power. And finally, she finally calls her sponsor. I don't know why she waits so long. And her sponsor comes at the end of, me, at the, end of the movie and says, Honey, you've always had the, the power to go home. You just had to take the steps. And inside, inside those ruby red slippers were her feet where she took the steps. Well, in 1939... When the big book first came out, the first 5,000 copies were ruby red. And in this book are the steps we take for recovery. And by the way, how does Dorothy get home? Click your heels how many times? Step one, step two, step three. God could and would if he were sought. And at the end of the movie, she's sitting there and they're all loving her. And she is all loving them. And she's been restored to sanity due to this beautiful program that's so easy but yet so hard. And the sad thing about it, if Judy Garland, who played Dorothy, would have found this program, she wouldn't have had to die 30 years later, an alcoholic of a drug overdose. And she says the most important thing after the movie, you know what, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And you all here, you're all here, and I'm never, ever leaving. And all I can tell you guys is there's no place like home. This is my home, and I'm going to stay one day at a time. Thank you.